Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. Here's your host, Chris Lee. Commodore fans, on your feet, it's time to anchor down. Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast presented by Dr. Jody Jones, DDS. We're part of the 440 Sports Network. I'm your host, Chris Lee. Our guest today, Chip Frederick, will talk Vanderbilt baseball. So let's get right to our interview with Chip. Chip Frederick joins me. It is Monday afternoon. Chip, since you and I last talked, Vanderbilt has won a weekend series at Kentucky, 2-1. to one. It has won a midweek game, so we have lots to talk about. Hope you're doing well, sir. Doing well, Chris. Hope you are. You know, the, the thing that I harken back to when talking to some people, some former players and fans that I bumped into, is they got the job done uh, this weekend. It wasn't pretty. Saturday certainly wasn't pretty. Friday was great, and you see Chris McIlvain and, and Little get the combined no-hitter, and McIlvain is rewarded with getting SEC Pitcher of the Week. I'm not sure if you saw that. just came across this morning, and very much well-deserved. So, uh, you know, you, you win a series, and at this time of year, you want to stack wins and stack series to get that resume, uh, you know, a little more fluffed up. And you, you look at the series coming, the things that are looming ahead, and, and I did that this morning when the D1 – baseball top 25 rankings come out when you and not in this order but you got arkansas georgia texas a&m and lsu and those four teams are in the top 22 teams in the country so not going to be an easy task it never is in this league and if anything this year even though the the west is a little more head on the win column than the east you're seeing a lot of um a lot of power teams in this league some of the faces are new especially the auburns and the georgias from where they are but this team has its work cut out for them, but they did the job, won the series, probably should have swept, and that would have been a, a nice to get some of the, you know, back in the win column, get some wins as far as stacked up from where they've left some on the table. But this, I don't know sure if you thought this um, like I did. It felt a lot like the South Carolina series, um, where a big win on Friday night and then two losses, and luckily. Uh, as far as taking care of it and getting four runs in the first two innings against Kentucky on Sunday, they avoided that collapse, but sure made it interesting late. And there were some heart palpitations, I'm sure, by many on that Sunday game when things got a little hairy. But two out of three on the road in this league and getting your first uh, league wins as far as the series wins was a bonus and see if they can build on that without a game in the midweek. And they got a very, very tough Texas A&M team who's took two out of three this weekend from Arkansas and they've won three straight series coming into town for one of those unique Thursday, Friday, Saturday series. So a quick turnaround for the Commodores. Yeah, I'm I'm not big on keeping up with rankings for any sport for the most part. Um, it's not the worst thing that, that they're not ranked in terms of <laughs> um, crimes against humanity or, or whatever, no. whatever you want to phrase it. I, I still... I'm always amused with two things with the the rankings. There's no differentiation between series wins, whether it's two one or three one, and like if you you pile up a bunch of those over time, uh, you lose the distinction there that I think matters. And the other thing, midweek games apparently do not matter at all. <laughs> I think all that pollsters look at is did you win your series? Doesn't matter who it was against. Uh, just did you win it or not? You know, you you could win it three zero or two one, and if you're you know, if you're if you're 
two and the other team is one and and you're two and you went three and oh and and one went two and one well you won your series you still stay there uh and i don't know if any other team in the country is unbeaten in the midweek i i think that matters i mean apparently it doesn't matter the polls and i'm not saying it matters a ton but i don't think it matters zero otherwise why do you play the game so they're not ranked again in either of the the two polls ba or d1 they are ranked in the coaches um Perception reality with this team is just interesting to me. Um, not just rankings, but their fans, too. And I know the computer polls don't get a, a lot of run, and I don't know how much stock you, you put into them. But I'm looking this morning, again, that they're unranked. And the computers, uh, the ones that I look at that get updated every day, they, they're 8 in RPI. They're 3 in Kenneth Massey. They're six in Boyd's world. They are ninth in Warren Nolan's ELO, and they're seventh in Sonny Moore. Yeah, and, I mean that's yeah, that's those are the ones that kind of are head scratchers. And but but when you when you've been at the top for so long, you've been at that upper echelon. When you take a fall, yeah. sometimes those poll they they want to make you earn it back. Do you agree with me on that a little bit? And I oh, I, I think that. there's I think there's a delayed reaction. And when you start getting the momentum your way, it starts to turn once you get back in, and maybe your climb goes a little faster. But, yeah, I mean, like I said, I don't pay a lot of attention to those for a reason. I really don't care. Um, if I really want to figure out who's better, I'll, I'll do my own digging. Um, and I'm not being critical. Like, I'm, I'm friends with some of those guys at D1, and I'm acquainted with some of the guys at BA. They're all fine people. They do a lot of work. I don't, frankly, know how they do all the work they do. And when you've got a million things to cover and write and you're doing rankings, it's an easy shortcut just to say, well, this team won its series, and so it it you know stays or moves up, and this team lost a series, and just say, well, let's see who won and who lost and move these teams up and down accordingly. It, it's a shortcut in a situation where you don't have a lot of time. So I don't say that to be critical of any of those guys. Um, I, I'm, I'm just saying it's – I've noticed that over the years, and I don't get in arguments with with the fan base uh, about what they think of the team and whether they're right or wrong. And I will say this: uh, the thing that does bother me about them is, you know, they played half their conference schedule against what I think are the worst three teams in the league. That's Kentucky, Missouri, South Carolina. Now I don't think any of those teams are bad, and I think what's coming up is is the best half of the league other than Tennessee, which they've they've already faced. So I think it's about to get a lot tougher. Exams are going to be over in two weeks, too. They've got two more weeks to play um, with exams going on. So that'll be interesting, too. One on the road, one at home. But it's funny because you saw our board. You're on there. I don't know what was said on Twitter, um, but I can imagine it's the same. It's the, the hand-wringing over the hitting, and the lineup's terrible. The lineup's not terrible. The lineup is average for the SEC, which is not bad. But the, the lack of clutch hitting at times, which I've always maintained, the people that study it say that comes around. Uh, no, the bottom of the order was awful on Sunday. They got one runner on and seven strikeouts, I believe, from memory. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But it's funny to me, like this team throws a no-hitter has 17 in a third straight hitless innings 
And like by the time Saturday rolls around and Sunday rolls around, all everybody's talking about is the hitting. Um, <laughs> the fan base has an amazing ability. And I'm not saying the criticisms aren't fair, by the way, because um, I think some of them are. But that's just kind of where it is with that fan base and this team. They had this amazing run with pitching that that usually you'd be talking about. Uh, and, and instead, all the focus is on, well, you know, they're nine and nine, and and they're not hitting well with this guy, that guy, and that guy. And I just think it's it's interesting. Yeah, and, and answer a few of your th- questions uh, that you rolled out there. No, I don't think it's important that they're ranked right now. If if this team is going to make a run that they're going to have to run, make excuse me, the 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 teams in front of them will take care of itself if they win series. So uh, being ranked in last week in April is no big deal to me and I don't think it's hella beans to Tim Corbin and his staff and his team. I'm sure they've made that uh, point, you know, on several times. It doesn't have to be made anymore. They that's they just want to continue to keep playing hard and stacking wins. But yeah, the the ringing of hands after, you know, the no hitter, it's it's a short life. The SEC weekends are very difficult in this league. I don't care that there's definitely more balance than there's been in a long, long time. You've seen some teams flip up to the top of the league that have not been anywhere near that lately in the last couple of years. Um, I make it akin to almost like Alabama football, which is, you know, Alabama has been at the top of the heap for so long in football under Saban. And, and yet Saban, you know, they beat somebody 52 to nothing in a non-league game in September. And his press conferences always have questions or their fan bases always throw out, ridiculous questions about these kids and why didn't they do this better and and they it's just nitpicking um i'm not saying that the 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 questions are not warranted on this team i think that just for the fact that we've talked about chris the number of lineup changes that have been on this team uh as far as trying to find the right chemistry and maybe going you know playing the percentages as far as right on left and and left on right on the hitting side. And, and, uh, you know, Tim has mentioned many times that there's just, in his opinion, there's more balance than there's ever been on this team as far as abilities. And it makes it really, really hard when you're trying to get playing time and you're trying to get at bats for these guys. And when they're pretty even in years past, it hadn't been that way. And, and lately it has where the fact that they just can't find the right chemistry now you see Vaz didn't even get a hit at, at bat this weekend here's a guy who the first what was it six seven eight nine weeks of the season this this guy's been a mainstay and I don't know if he's hurt or what ha- or if it's just a direction they're taking he you and I talked about this he did not get an official at bat in Lexington this weekend um so he didn't even play as a defensive replacement right, I don't right. think and he used to even do that sometimes when he when he wasn't getting the at bat so it, I think you're seeing a lot more balance uh, on this team, guys who can kind of do a lot of the same things, and they're just still trying to find it. So it's not like it's a big surprise or should be a surprise to anybody. Just for the, fear, the, the sheer fact that they're playing this many guys the last week in April and hadn't settled on a lineup for about three spots is, is glaring. The left side of the infield, uh, the left side of the field, has been the question mark hitting. And, you know, you got Davis Diaz. He's a young kid, and he started tearing it up early. And the Carter Young situation, we don't have to – I mean, he's just he has struggled at several times in the season and is, while his glove has been spectacular. 
left field hitting wise, the entire left side is just is has not been carrying their weight. So it's not like these things should be, you know, should be a big shock. And um, I, I, you know, the the fan base thing is just when you've been been really really good and you go through these ups and downs as as, as a fan base of winning a game and throwing a no hitter and the next day, you know play like they did against Kentucky, which in a situation where they're struggling, they've lost several series, three in a row. You're thinking sweep there and they come out of there winning three to two. It's like everything just that could go wrong. uh, in that Saturday game did, but luckily they straightened it out on Sunday and got ahead early and, and were able to, to take control. So this is a, as a, we've talked about a young team, um, a lot of these teams in the conference. I mean, Tennessee's. I, I think I mentioned these to you before that we went on here. I mean, the lefty, the big lefty for UT. He's 24 years old. You know, he's played for six years. I mean, UT's got a lineup of 23, 24 year olds in there, and and that's the rules with COVID. And guys, the draft has been shortened, so not as many guys are getting drafted. They're coming back, and that's what a lot of these teams have done. And they've dipped in the portal. Let's not forget that. So. It's uh, facts are the facts, but this is the cards that this team is going to be, you know, using the rest of the way, and and they've got their chances out in front of them to do the things they want to do. Um, realistically, will this team finish, you know, five hundred in the league? I, I would think that would be a goal. I mean, fifteen and fifteen or so. That sounds like what the way they're headed. Uh, they just can't get swept. And they got to do a number on Texas A&M, especially their home games with A&M and LSU. And they got to just avoid not getting swept. Uh, if they can do that, finishing a game or two over 500 at 500, I think is realistic for just the way they have played, unless they just go on a tremendous tear. But you mentioned the exams. I looked at it, and I always do this just because I'm a former player, and I remember how these affected when I played. You know, in case you missed it, Vanderbilt's a pretty difficult academic school, uh, and those start Monday the second. So you're talking about, you know, this weekend, you know, they they got to hit the books, and the next weekend they're out of town, uh, and those are always tough times when you're student athlete at Vanderbilt to get that get that done. So uh, you mentioned that, and I wanted to highlight that as well that it's a uh, it's a time where it takes a lot of a lot of sleepless nights or very little sleep and and trying to still play ball at the same time. We have a lot of topics to get to, and I just hope I remember them all. But I think we got to talk about Chris McElvain. And I didn't see it. My son had a doubleheader at the same time. And on top of watching, I'm our scorekeeper. So I'm sitting there really following his game. And it, it sometimes that requires me to turn off the the phone, which That's I listen right. to – the game and then I'll, I'll follow it on game tracker but I mean I just kept watching the box score and going well he's through the fourth with no hits and the fifth with no hits and you figured he wasn't going to make it through the game given the way the pitch count was piling up but what a job he did um and who finished that oh Christian Little finished the game I mean right again and it wasn't just that you, you go back to the Tech game, and they hold Tech hitless, I think, after the, the third or fourth. And then Carter Holton holds Kentucky hitless for a couple innings. But I felt like Chris McElvain was due to pitch better. And I get that Kentucky's not you know, top 
third of the league offensively, but it's not bad either. I just thought that was a really impressive game for them on the road in a, in a park where the, the ball can get out of there at times too. Yeah, it's similar to UT's field, uh, how it kind of ju- – the left center gap uh, reminds me a lot of that park, and, and balls do jump out of there. It was, it was especially windy this weekend up in Lexington, which it, it, it can be uh, this time of year. So McIlvain, yeah, I mean, 104 pitches in seven innings. The, the pitch count was a little higher than you would like for that, and that's why he didn't finish it. They weren't going to extend him, and I don't blame him there. Um you know, that happened with Leiter last year in, in Missouri and uh, when he had the no-hitter and they took him out. This time of year, you just don't want to want to stretch guys too much. It, it, with It's a long season. you got a lot of baseball ahead of you. But he's been a, a mainstay in that lineup. It's it's great to see that he took that and, and ran with it. And, um, you know, hopefully he can just build on that. But, yeah, SEC Pitcher of the Week was named, as I mentioned earlier, and very well deserved, but uh, the staff as a whole, you know, looking at what they did, you know, Carter Holton in the in the loss, you, you know, he's he seems like that. I'm not saying the book is out on the freshman, but he, he's he's his innings, each outing have gone down and down, and and really been four innings, five innings tops compared to what he was doing earlier in the year. And and you know, I'm not saying there's walls that pitchers hit, but in this league. There's different, you know, they can break, coaches break down film, they can see tendencies, and this, you know, kind of goes back to what happened in Columbia, um, in South Carolina, when he was pitching so well and had trouble in the first two innings. But, you know, Riley came on, limited his walks, but unfortunately they didn't get it done in the win column. And then Cunningham, Maldonado, Berkwood, Schultz got it done on Sunday. You know, Cunningham had, you know, for the four innings with the lead, pitched pitched well. Maldonado, I think he's still finding his way back. Um, two strikeouts, two walks, and two and a third. I, I still don't think he's where he was at any time last year. And then yeah. Berkowitz threw to a batter, and then Schultz kind of made an interesting light. So <clears throat> overall for the staff, though, I, obviously the, the impressive game was McIlvain and Little. And I, and I have to really – I'm not – you know, baby steps is not maybe the right word with Little, but – Stretching him out there a little bit more and more, and his velocity has been electric. He's been 95, 94, 95, and I like the way he's been pitching. It's just whether he can, with runners on this, when he has to go from the stretch, that's been his problem. And if they've worked on that, but he hadn't hadn't had to be in the stretch much the way he's been pitching. So glad to see those two uh, get that accomplishment uh, on Friday night. Holton to me is interesting because you know I'm I'm a stats guy. The stats would indicate his ERA should be a a run or two lower than it is based on the the number of runners that he's given up. But but two things he's been prone to the home run ball, uh, and, and some of those have been really jacked too. But I just notice a pattern with him time and time again, and you see this a lot with freshman pitchers. Sophomore, junior year, they begin to figure it out. But it just seems to me like he gets flustered and, and frustrated with runners on. Again, that's a a situation he's not ever had to, to pitch through. And it just seems like it's like clockwork. He will dominate a couple innings. But, man, if, if he gives up a leadoff runner, it just seems like there's almost 100% chance somebody's going to score or get a couple on and you're going to see a big inning. He's got to learn to manage that part. Yeah, and you look at those two guys, you know, Futrell and Holton, the lefties, 
man, it bodes really, really well for the future of this pitching staff. I mean, next year they're going to be a year older, and you know, you go lefty, lefty, no matter what order it is, and and those two guys are going to be lights out. Uh, I, you know, you you have some people who have questioned and and said, is you know, do those two guys need to be flipped? And perhaps Holton get some confidence back in the midweek um, and throw Futrell out there to the Wolves on Saturday and see what he can do. Uh, you know, I think if they would have done that, and I think you mentioned this to me, they would have done that perhaps this weekend to get Futrell out there in the conference, and they didn't without having a game this week. And then you've got A&M on the short week, and then you've got Louisville. So I think – you and I talked. If if the if it were, was going to happen, it probably would have happened by now. If it didn't happen this past weekend, but you know those guys, uh, they've got bright futures here. I'm glad they're on our staff. Uh, you know, for the next three years, um, Holton's more over the top. Curveball's probably a little better than Futrell, but you know Futrell I think's got a big league changeup, and that's been his out pitch. He can throw it in any time. So that's the difference between the two. Um, you know. What, could could they flip flop? Is your best pitcher is one of your best pitchers pitching during the week? Maybe that that could be, you know as far as stats go. You look at the numbers; numbers don't lie. Futrell also hadn't been pitching conference games either, and you got to remember that. And I mentioned that last week. So, um, you know, it's 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 a tough place to come in as a freshman and pitch in this league. You've seen up and down the media guidebook. If you look at the guys who came in as freshmen. And a lot of them were very much um, given, you know, the opportunities to pitch during the week, and then they got inserted. And some of those guys, uh, you know, Walker Bueller being one of them, who did not get his opportunity till late, late in the year. You pointed that out to me, um, almost at the end of the year before he got into the rotation. So it's something that I'm sure that they. Um, well, I don't. I'm not sure. I know they know a lot, but more than you and I, as far as how they these guys are ready for. But I, I mentioned. You know, Tim mentioned in a press conference where he was kind of very hesitant. I think maybe you made the question to him about Futrell, and he kind of paused and said, "Well, we got to watch that a little bit. You know, we got to watch." Followed by, "No, we're not doing that." Yeah, yeah, (laughs) very quickly. Yeah, right. It's like he, it's like he thought about it, engaged the question, and then is like, "No, we are not going to do that." Taking advice from Chris Lee and other reporters in the about making a switch, right? And me here on this broadcast, so. Yeah, I, I just think um, they're going to stick with it. I think if you, I agree with you, though. You mentioned the May. If they would have done it, you could have seen Futrell on Sunday to mix things up. But I don't see it changing really any right now. The weirdest thing to me, and, and without looking this up, I think this is correct. <laughs> the fact that here we are almost to May, and Bryce Cunningham has more starts than... Patrick Riley and Christian Little put together. I don't know what odds you could have gotten on that, but I would have right. I would have bet the house on that all day against that in February. Exactly right. Even in March. You're right. Yeah, it just the Sunday um the Sunday situation has been like those three that left field first base DH spot right field sometimes a little four spots there the the Sunday starter except for the last couple that Cunningham has kind of just been the guy to come in and throw strikes and remember now against Florida he pitched good enough to win uh in that game I think with a normal offensive output they first two games they 
hit the ball really well and then chose last Sunday. It's like it's almost like this team is picking a game each weekend to just to not not choosing, but just it so happens the break they're not getting the breaks. They're hitting a lot of double plays. They're uh, they're trying. I, I'm I, I saw the games that I watched on video from you know soccer fields all over middle Tennessee and what I was doing on, you know, (laughs) being a taxi cab driver. Um, those guys on Saturday were just lift, trying to lift everything. I don't know if you noticed that just every batter was a lot of foul balls lifting. It it just didn't look like the, the hitting discipline was there. And that was the Saturday game that they chose to do that. And then they come back on Sunday and then the light bulb goes off and they're hitting balls the other way. They're, uh, you know, they're, they're doing the little things that you got to do. And, and Spencer Jones, that kid has become such a good hitter. (laughs) This season of the Vandy sports podcast has been made possible by my friend, Dr. Jody Jones, DDS. When it comes to general or cosmetic dentistry services, Jody is the best in Nashville. Just check out his client list. It testifies to that. He sees movie stars, music stars, athletes, coaches, you name it. Jody is the dentist of choice for stars in Nashville, but he sees regular folks like you and I as well. What people love about Jody's office is the ambiance. It's relaxing. It's friendly. Someone described it to me as a tooth spa. Whether your needs are general or cosmetic, go see Jody today. Call him 615-270-2322. See him at 55 Music Square East, not far from downtown or the Vanderbilt campus. Jody is a former Vanderbilt football player and a huge Commodore booster, so go and talk Vandy sports with him while you're there. Go see Jody Jones today. Thank him for his support of this podcast because without it, this season would not be possible. I mean, there there's a couple. Uh, my little sons, my son, one of my sons said, "Who would you like to pitch to, Dad, or not like to pitch to in this lineup?" I would want no part of Spencer Jones. Yeah. I mean that guy. He it, just the way he's at the plate, and he is positioning himself. Uh, I know that Cal Peterson and broadcast has talked about like sometimes being that tall can be a detriment in the big leagues. There are not too many guys as big as he is, but he hits the ball really, really hard. Yeah. At every. I mean, he he when he squares up on it and. And he's having himself a good year. And um, and it's good to see Bolger, what he's been doing lately, the last several weeks. Spark plug's gone off with him. And that kind of trio, Bolger, Keegan, Jones, is pretty formidable. And and, uh, and they got to keep it up. The bottom half of the order, seven through nine, have, have and I hate saying this, it's the truth. It's, it's uh, being picky. It's not being picky. It's just being raw baseball truth. They've almost been automatic outs seven, eight, and nine, and you see so you're almost like Little League, you know, where you got your, your good athletes one through six, and then the guys who aren't very good or you you, you got to, you know, do. And it's interesting that the Bulger situation, Chris, and it kind of just came out. I mean, batting in the two-hole is something that I never thought Jack Bulger would be doing a month and a half ago, and he was in the two-hole all three spots, uh, all three games this weekend. Yeah, those guys – I think the reason Bulger's in the two-hole is they like the bat control. They think he can put a bunt down when he needs it. He doesn't strike out a lot. And that was the thing about Jack. Even when he was struggling earlier in the year, he was making contact. It just wasn't getting driven too much. So give credit to Tim Corbin. He stuck it out. They're getting the benefits from that now. 
I don't think their fans realize how good Jones and Keegan have been. I mean, Keegan's still hitting above 400, which I'm not a, a big batting average guy, but that that's pretty loud. Um, you know, they're both probably right now top 10 offensive players in the league in a year where the league is just loaded with offensive players, probably in a way that I don't ever remember. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's they, they've – Sometimes you can be you can pick things apart, but I, I agree with you. They they've uh, they're having themselves nice years now. They're gonna they're getting ready to play. As I said, four teams in the top twenty two currently in the country, and um, you know things starting to heat up, and and uh, we'll, we'll see if that continues. But you, you, you're going to have to have those three guys carry you know this club offensively, and Colwick has the ability to do it. You just wonder how how his hand is doing um you know he had a big night and what was he on saturday night uh he got three hits sunday but see i'm i'm with you you brought up the thing i was going to bring up next or one of the things i was going to bring up next he just is not driving the ball with power yeah which and that's two years in a row that he's hurt his hand and it just seems to have gone and he's a guy that tim's going to want to have in there he's a grinder he's a leader He's steady. He's still contributing value, but I do wonder if we've seen the last of his power as a college kid. And I don't say that to be critical. I mean, if you get a hand injury, and I'm speculating here, but it happened last year, and I'm wondering if that's not the same type thing. Because I remember, I think two weekends ago when they were home, you could kind of see him, like he caught a ball or something, you could see him kind of taking his glove off and looking down at his hand. Third base. He's yeah, thir- third base. right. You you saw it. In fact, I might have been sitting with you in the stands yeah. when that happened. I think I was. Yeah, yeah. That I think we both, at that point, we both wondered. And, and maybe it's not a coincidence that you're not seeing doubles and home runs out of him as much. Was it? Now, was his injury last year, refresh my memory, was it, was it the hamate bone? He had his- that, and then I think he had another one that I want to say was unrelated in the regional. I could be wrong about that, but like he aggravated that. Oh man, they were up. I want to say eight or nine runs in the Friday night game against whoever they played Presbyterian, I guess it was. And he, he aggravated that and really was never the same the rest of the year. Yeah. And if people don't know what that, that is, I mean, it is extremely difficult to even hold, hold a bat much less swing a bat. And it's where your thumb, as I'm looking down at my palm right now, where the thumb, the meat of your thumb bone or that area in between there, and it makes squeezing a bat almost impossible. And it's one of the most pain, more painful things, and it's frustrating too because it takes a long, long time for that to heal. And baseball players are subject to, with the amount of reps that they get with that, on the on the hand area of taking batting practice on their own and in practice or whatever it can be detrimental and it can be a season ending injury if you don't watch out so uh, it's something that you just don't mess with kind of like you know there's certain things that you know, like Maldonado's um arm injury he had with it, it just you don't you don't want to mess with that cuz it can be it could shut you down for the, for the rest of the year well i think a lot of the fans spent the weekend talking about the left side of the infield. Um, 
Carter Young just has not hit the way he's capable. I don't know what the deal is there. Um, I, I still have not seen the guy we saw before the injury last year, and, and maybe that's the case. Maybe it's not. I don't know. But the, the glove has been brilliant. And the same oh, yeah. thing for Davis Diaz, who you know, for like three or four weeks didn't miss anything. And now he just he can't – I mean, he's not striking out a lot, but he's not putting anything in, into play with authority. But the glove, too, has been brilliant. And the left side of your infield, man, that's a big thing in postseason play, and especially with their pitching. Tim has always been pitching in defense first. I don't say that to be critical. I think if you're going to make the choice, that's the one I'd make, too. But I don't see those guys coming out – for that reason, I just think the gloves and the arms are, are so good. And frankly, I don't think either I don't think either of them can hit worse than they're hitting right now. I think both of them are due to to, to hit better than they are. Just if by nothing else, by dumb luck. Um, not, not again. I see the issues. I'm not saying it's not like these guys are hitting into a bunch of hard outs. You know, Carter's having issues making contact, and and Diaz just isn't if it give isn't giving you any pop, but. We've seen enough of Tim, and we've seen enough to those of those guys. I, I just don't think it's going to change there, and I don't know that I'd change it either, given the way they defend and given the way the team's built. Yeah, well, Hewitt gets to start first two games of the series, then then they go with Laneve yesterday, and Hewitt. Um, now, now that one I don't understand. That, yeah, that's it, one that I, I just think I was floored that neither Hewitt nor Polk was in the lineup on Sunday. And then when but when Hewitt comes in and pinch hits, he gets a hit. Um, he goes one for two. So Hewitt had a nice night. He was two for four on Friday. He goes hitless on Saturday. And then not sure if they were playing the percentages on Sunday or not. But, um, you know, that's um, those things are can be chopped up and analyzed. But I, I really do like Hewitt as a player. I think he can run. He can go get balls. Um, in the outfield, I have no problem with him out there, and um, he just seems like he's just a, a, a glue guy who can who gets base, he gets on the bases, he can he can, um, and he's done that for the last couple weeks. So I would expect uh, I would expect him to be in the lineup this week on Thursday, just a hunch, uh, unless something changes um, in between time. You know, we talked defense. We have not mentioned. I don't know if Hewitt took away a home run or a double that would have missed by two inches. Look to me, I, I thought that ball was leaving the yard, but I'm not sure you know the angle of it and everything. And same thing with Brighton. I think the one Bradfield got looked to me like it was leaving the yard, but that that's two catches their outfield made that saved what four runs total. Oh yeah, Maybe, or was it five? Yeah, and the, and the one that Bradfield makes in the outfield that could have turned that game all right. the way around, and and I'm not sure if that gets out, but I'm if he doesn't catch it, it hits the top of the wall and it bounds around, and a couple runs scored. So that was a probably the play of the game, I would say easily for Vanderbilt. That that um, you know, and, the, and that's where the ball we were talking about how it juts out like it, it does in Knoxville, that short. Uh, area in left center field and and um, with the wind swirling yesterday that ball's hit another three feet and it's totally different outcome perhaps maybe this is a stretch because Hewitt hasn't played a ton but when he has played he's been tremendous and you remember last year he was their first outfielder off the bench when, when they'd go to defensive subs and the, the eighth or ninth or sometimes seventh he was playing right away in April 
And defense is going to get you on the field in those spots. And the fact that he was on the field told me a lot. And, of course, you know with Bradfield, he's not coming out. So there's less opportunity there just because center is, is going to be a rock there and just write that in ink every day. But I feel like Hewitt, Bradfield, Jones, man, I don't know that they've ever put a better combo out there than those three when they're out there. Do you agree or disagree? No, I agree. I think they all have good arms. They can go get balls, especially we don't have to. I, I was in um, where I sit at games. Uh, there are a couple scouts. I guess there's scout seats behind me, and you see those guys just uh, getting all lathered up about Enrique Bradfield. I mean, talking about catches he's made, and one scout, <clears throat> I'm not sure he was with, behind me just said it's the best catch he's seen all season, and he's been in a game almost every day of the week for the last – three months um but his jump is just unbelievable that's how he gets to those balls and his speed but the way you know that it was so uncare it was uncharacteristic at the play he made yesterday in sunday's game when he sort of misjudged it and went back and then the wind was swirling and he came in and he, and and he, he didn't make that yeah and he yeah. tripped I, I don't know what was wrong just side note here <clears throat> kentucky's turf i think is the same as vanderbilt's i'm pretty sure uh, it looked like it was, and I did, I'd forgotten with their new park that they had that, but it's almost a necessity in Lexington, Kentucky, to have that surface. But a lot of guys were slipping, sliding, especially getting out of the box. A lot of our hitters— Keegan they, tripped. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Keegan tripped, um, and if the ball doesn't get by second, I think the announcer noted that's probably a double play, but right. it, it went into right as a— Yeah, I mean, and I wonder, too— Oh man, and this is a this is a tricky topic. But I know one thing when there's suspected bat tampering going on, you don't hear the ball off the bat very well. And you've seen some of their outfielders look really confused with the ball off the bat in recent weeks. Yeah, it's it's uh I agree with you. It's um I don't I don't know if that if that means anything, if that's just coincidence, but you start to watch reactions, and their outfield generally does not has not had trouble judging balls. But you've been hearing more and more talk of bat tampering and things like that. I remember in '09 that was a thing. It was a safety issue, not just for the speed, but outfielders could not like the the hearing the ball off the bat. I guess gives you a cue as to how hard it's hit and some things like that. And when your reactions are in split seconds and you're seeing guys that are confused and, and sometimes maybe that's the sun or you just don't see the ball for whatever reason, it could be a number of things, but if that, if that continues to be an issue, you have to wonder a little bit, I think. No, I, it, it, the casual baseball fan doesn't realize that, that, Sound has a lot to do with how outfielders play. If you took the Vanderbilt outfielders and got them in a group, and they would all admit to you that they, one of the first instincts they do is go by sound and and how ball is hit. The Kentucky announcer, and I, he was doing, it was like you know Kevin Ingram and and does here. I guess they work for the SEC Plus, but it's their guys. Doug Flynn, I guess, former Cincinnati Red. Take it. Is that yeah? Is that the, that's the, him. That was Doug. He Flynn was doing the color. color. But they mentioned how he, as the Kentucky batter went around the bases, he he kind of uh, 
uh, alluded to the fact that it was probably one of the worst home run calls ever because <laughs> he's watching Spencer Jones and Wright, and the ball was crushed uh, as far as distance. And he, you know, he kind of gave it, and he thought maybe Spencer Jones was camping under it, just like we all. The, the camera guy didn't know either. Yeah, and 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 the point that I'm making that with this discussion that's been with bats and um, that potential guys rolling them and doing those things with them is a hot bat that is um, not within the regulations of the NCAA. Um, when it is the, the exit velocity, a lot of times I've had coaches make it akin to the sound of a tennis racket. Um, when, a, when a tennis racket hits a ball that's crushed on an overhand or it's that kind of noise. It's not a noise that you would normally associate with with a baseball hitting a bat or a, a ping sound or or that. It's a weird. It's an awkward sound. And when you were an outfielder and you're trying to judge that, I mean, the sun I don't think was out at Kentucky Proud Park yesterday. And and when when you see Jones just throw his hand up, which I've never really well, I've seen him do it twice against Tennessee earlier this year. Um, in that game when he didn't know where the ball was and that might've been some twilight issues, but it might've been some exit speed issues as well. But, um, you, when you see that it's sound is an instinct as an outfielder that you use to, to judge how far ball's going. But yeah, that, that was, uh, and, and the noise too, it's just, you, you heard it even on television. It, it makes these awkward noises that you're not used to. So, uh, you know, Chris, we could probably do a, a whole show on that, and I think some people maybe have written some articles that you know personally about it. And, <laughs> Perhaps. <laughs> and uh, I look. Can I can I rant for a minute? Go ahead. I I, I I cannot believe people in the media are not looking more into this. I I don't know what's true and what's not, but there's been a lot of stuff out there for weeks, and I don't know that it's necessarily all teams. I think it might be. A player here or there doing it with a coach doesn't know about it or doesn't approve. I wrote an article about it on my SEC site a few weeks ago. Um, I, I spoke to people at the NCA. Their answer could not have been more. We do not care. It was it was alarming. I mean, my my jaw was almost hitting the carpet in my office as I was talking to a rep from the NCA. The SEC is deflecting everything to the NCA. I just think it's. Awful. Um, you don't want to see this change. You know, policies change and concern change because somebody gets killed or hurt badly. I fear that's where this is going. That's why you have bat rules in the first place because of safety. I I just think the the lack of discussion and interest in this topic to me is just. It's astonishing. I don't. I don't think people know what they're looking at. But have you ever hit with the hot bat, Chip? Oh yeah. I mean, there there were back in the day uh, when a bat was hot, uh, and these these of course were specs when they weren't what they are today. But you get a bat that was broken in, and you know everybody's using it, <laughs> one through nine. I mean, I don't yeah. care if it's a, whatever size it was because. The bat itself, the the it almost acts like a, with a trampoline effect, yeah. Uh, and and you you it gets a soft spot where that um, material is worn 
to the effect of where it, it is it, it makes that sound that we're talking about that thump sound almost like a tennis racket hitting the ball hard and but but it's it's the exit velocity and when you're getting balls that are coming off the bat at and and then I for, it was interesting there was a game I was watching and I don't know if it was uh and, and I'm trying to remember when it was when they actually had exit velocity off the bat as well as the the miles an hour that a pitcher was throwing, uh, but when you're getting and seeing those numbers in 105, 110, 115, that's dangerous territory. Um, I know a couple years ago, a coach told me one time that a, a player at Georgia, and this was 10, 11 years ago, hit one with an exit velocity of 125 miles an hour off the bat, Man. and the ball didn't go. The ball went over the fence on, on a plane that it was unique that it, the coach had never seen before. It, it really didn't rise. I mean, it was just a line drive with an exit velocity like that. Now, someone will get killed at 120. That If, if, if it's hit to the right wrong person or a pitcher or what have you. So it's, uh, it's really unique times here with this. I don't know why the NCAA is not looking at it. And, and a question that I pose. They, they don't care. They, yeah. don't, they just wish everybody would shut up and it would go away. That was very clear when I spoke to the NCAA. And, when you, and the, weird, the strange thing was, was you, I mean, wood makes a difference, whether they're worried about protecting the game and, the, you know, hey, look, the game's hot. We got balance right now. Omaha is a great destination you know, it, it, college baseball is maybe hotter than it's ever been. We're not going to mess with anything. Well, if somebody gets yeah. killed, they're going to have to mess with it. But, you know, the, immediately people say, well, what if you went to Wood? Uh, you know, and the major leagues supplemented and, and said, okay, we want to evaluate these kids using Wood so we can draft them better of how they're going to adjust. And the question becomes, well, that's a cost to it, and it's a lot more than people think. You're talking about fall ball. You're talking about practices in the cages. You're talking about game bats. It's not a cheap proposition for an organization like the NCAA, as I'm going to get on my soapbox, that won't allow a third assistant. Yeah. Um, and yeah. so, you know, they're, they're not what letting uh, teams do that. And then the other action is they say, well, why don't they just let the power five? Because you you, if you're going to allow, just you're going to say no aluminum bat, no composite bats, we're going to wood. Well, is... Vanderbilt can afford to do that. Can Swanee do that? Can Lipscomb do that? Can the Division Three teams do that? Is it, is it, you know, could you possibly say D1, we're going to be, it's going to be Wood and the D2, D3 teams and junior colleges? I think junior colleges, there's some guys out there going to swing it just as good as they just hadn't been found yet. But that's the deal. What would the budget number to be? And I'd love to ask somebody like that. I'm, I'm sure Tim would know that. What would it cost? a college program budget wise, if they didn't get supplemented by supplemented by the, by the major league baseball, what would it cost to their bottom line budget to go to wood? Uh, I'm well, wondering what that you've got, you've got NIL now coming That's into true. play. Why could the wood bat companies not, you know, use that to showcase their product. But anyway, um, the reason I asked you, I, I think I'm thinking back. Like I played, I wasn't even like a weekend softball player. I played like a Tuesday or Thursday night league back in my 20s and 30s, and I wasn't serious about it at all. And I certainly was not a power hitter. Uh, but I remember one of those games. Like I wasn't even, I, I wasn't even aware enough of hot bats and like into softball enough to know that that was a thing. I just remember one time 
I used a bat. I think mine was going dead. I didn't spend any money of significance on it. And I just grabbed somebody else's bat. And I remember hitting a ball almost to dead center that a guy caught literally, I think his back may have been against the fence. And I remember thinking, I've never hit a ball that far. And I didn't even feel it off the bat. Like it was weird. Yeah. It felt like, it, 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 I don't know, it just, it did, it felt like I was, you know, swinging with bubble wrap on it or something. I like, I, I like, and I hadn't thought about it again until this weekend, but I thought I'm pretty sure I hit with the hot bat because like there was no feel of the ball off the bat. And I didn't have any clue that the ball I hit was about to go as far as it did. But I was thinking back to that. I was like, I'm, I'm pretty sure I was using a hot bat that night because it like, I remember like it didn't, it didn't compute at the time. I'd never hit a ball like that. Well, those, so. those, those softball players who travel, you know, those big muscle guys that you see sometimes or maybe seen at a park or yeah. They all have the matching uniforms and the travel bags and stuff. Those guys are totally swinging roll bats. Right. There's machine. There's machines that you can get that you can get bat. Those and 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 you know they they are tampered with. And I don't think it's against the rules. I don't. I don't think there's. I mean that that's what the deal as far as getting those. That's part of the game. And, yeah. And. Uh, but college baseball probably shouldn't be that much, and and unless the NCAA and the the, the the conferences get together, uh, it's going to continue to happen. However, they're doing it, I don't know. Uh, clandestine operation. Um, oh, it's it's not clandestine. I mean, you can Google it, and there's plenty of companies out there. Yeah, that that are not hard to find. Yeah, yeah. So, well, you know, <laughs> as we shall see as, as this continues going on, because I'm I'm afraid that. Uh, you're just seeing the numbers going crazy, continuing. And this happened 11 years ago. And I remember in 2009, 2010, there were a lot of accusations going along about it. And then it kind of quieted down. And um, and then it kind of has reared its head again, once again. So not sure why. Let's talk pitching. And I meant to... Well, I thought about bringing this up last week. I wanted to save it for this week to have a little more in tow. But I go back to 14 and how what they started the year with and what they ended with pitching-wise were different things. And I just look at the makeup of what they could do in postseason. I mean, I do wonder if you're not going to end up seeing something like McIlvain on Friday night, uh, you know, maybe – Maybe Christian Little on Saturday, maybe Fitrell on 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 a game three situation in a regional. I doubt it's going to go like that, but you just have pieces in reserve if you're Vanderbilt that haven't even been tried in that spot. I still would love to see what Little did or could do with a bigger chance. Fitrell, we we've had that conversation before. We just don't know. But the big thing is, no matter how they slice it, I'm not trying to slight. Holton or any of those other guys. I think with Riley, they found a spot for him where it works. I think with Bryce Cunningham, they're finding a spot where it works, where he's really more of an opener than a starter, where he's just so around the plate that sometimes he's going to get hit. But he's mostly not going to beat himself. And I think his changeup the other day seemed like was really good too. I thought he was very effective. Uh, I could be wrong, but that looked like the pitch he was using. Maybe I'm confusing him with 
with somebody else. But I just look back and I go, they, they've still got a lot of pieces and they've still got a lot of options that have not been tried. And I get that it's not Rocker and Lighter or it's not Fulmer and Bueller. I'm not saying it is because it's not. I, they don't have the stud starting rotation combo that you just look at you know, when, when you're coming in a week and playing them and going, oh, no, we got to face those guys. But I do think you have some potential options with upside uh, because we know how talented Little is. We've seen what Futrill has done in the midweek. I just wonder what that's or excuse me, what that's going to look like when, when it really matters because they've got tons of pieces there and a lot more than they had a year ago. Yeah, I, I don't recall, Chris, a year in the last probably four or five, even and we're talking about some years winning the national title, that there has been this much balance as far as potential starting pitchers. Uh, I, I don't think it's even close. I mean, you, you've got, you know, you, you've got, Futrell with eight starts, McIlvain with 10, Holton with 10. But then you have Cunningham has three, Riley has three, Maldonado started three games, Grayson Moore won, and Hunter Owen has started a game. And with 26 and two-thirds innings. So the, the, the heartburn of being on a Monday night regional game, winner-take-all game five of a regional where you know you slip up in a team you know where they've been before having the idea of pitching a christian little that's a great problem to have for vanderbilt more so than you you know there's and and that's not saying bad things about who's been there in the past but that experience and those guys being on the mound that's not this team's problem that's not what should bother keep tim corbin and and brownie up at night uh, is the experience they have to roll guys out there and count on them to throw strikes and to get people out and to, and to win a series. Uh, I think it's the hitting is more of the issue and finding a stable lineup. But, I mean, I'm sure you agree. When you, the numbers don't lie. There's more innings balanced, and I talked about this maybe a show or two ago, than they've ever had before. Um, and, and that's going to bode well for them in the SEC tournament. It's going to bode well for them in a regional uh, if they get into trouble and, and somebody has a bad night in game one and they got to turn to go somebody to go Ginnings two through seven, for example. If they can't get out of the first, but they have to make a switch, um, they've got the arms to do that. So that's been the, you know, you, you look at where they are, 2.92 ERA as a team. They've spread things out with appearances. Uh, they go really, really deep. Um, Schultz. It kind of looks like he's assumed the the closer role yesterday, um, you know, made it a little harder probably than it should have been, but got out of it. And he's he's completed, you know, a couple games here lately with he's got, what, six saves. So it looks like he's the guy who's getting the ball. Uh, and then you've got, you know, as he's building back, Maldonado, a guy who's been in that role last year and was the guy last year, you still got him back there to, to fill the void as well. So... Pitching's, and I don't think the least is is the least of their problems. Just working it out the lineup uh, and hitting to get it get it straight for this team to go forward. I, I don't mean to, to harp on the fan base, but I think this is interesting. Um, <laughs> and I, I just and then I think it's more about expectations than it's a fan base. But like based on the way that people have talked about their pitching this year, where would you guess they rank nationally in run prevention? 
Oh, if I were guessing based on the reaction, oh, I'd think uh, middle of the pack. Yeah, well, they're second. You're right, right. They're allowing three. I'm looking at Warren Nolan. Tennessee's allowing 2.4 runs a game. They're allowing 3.3. Connecticut's 3.4. And then you got Southern Miss, 3.4. Arkansas, 3.5. So, I mean, they're, they're getting the job done. It's just not what we're used to. I don't ever remember a year like this. I mean, heck, you go back as far as as long as Tim's been here and Oh four, they went, let's see, they went Sowers, who was first team all American Mullins in the two, who was about as good. And sometimes Bushman would throw in that three spot. And I remember he threw a complete game, I think down at LSU one year, maybe it was that year. And, and he could go seven or eight. Sometimes Jensen Lewis would throw in that spot. Sometimes they'd throw him out of the bullpen. Like, Every year they've ever had, they always had a dude. Whether it was a Sonny Gray or a Kyle Wright or a Fulmer, this is the only year they haven't had a guy. And it comes off a year where they had the best probably one-two punch they've ever had. And I just don't think people can process it because it's not the way they've done it before. Yeah, and and you you get the true indication of how others feel about this staff when you hear Doug Flynn on the broadcast this weekend, when Christian Little came into the game, I don't know if you heard him, what he said, but he said, oh, you know, you've got a guy who's thrown no hits. He's no hitchy for seven. And congratulations, you get to face a guy who's throwing 95 right out of the pen. And he's talking about Christian Little. And that I think that's the bewilderment that most people have. And going down this roster of pitchers, when you look at it, I, I dare to say, there is not one guy on this staff, maybe Berkwich. I think Berkwich is more of a middle 80s, upper 80s guy. Um, I'm looking down here. I don't know if there's a single guy who doesn't throw a 90-plus. And, and don't get me started on that because back when we played in the league, in the league, in the SEC, there was you had Russ Springer, Ben McDonald, Greg Olson from Auburn. They threw 90. Everybody else was upper 80s, uh, you know, 86 to 88. And those guys threw in the low 90s. But now as a staff, even Donye Evans the other night was low 90s. So the velocity itself, if you can throw strikes and get people out, not hit anybody, not walk anybody, that's impressive as it is to see that many guys throw. You know, Futrell's upper 80s. I don't think he lives low 90s. But... Berkwich and Futrell, but other than those two guys, and it's still, look, 88 and 87 is tough to hit when you got movement, but the, it's a, it's, it's a velocity-heavy staff, and that's kind of the way it's gotten with some different stuff around the country with driveline and kids getting stronger and bigger, but still, that's an amazing thing when you can bring guys out, and you know, sometimes the third and fourth guy of the pen, and he's pumping 90 miles an hour. Well, I'm glad you mentioned Schultz. He's been terrific. Um, was, I thought, the the MVP of that game yesterday. It got a little dicey late. Um, trying to remember, did they intentionally walk a guy? I've got the box score here. Um, on Sunday? Yeah, no, they didn't intentionally walk him. I guess they, they sort of pitched around Ryan Ritter, and then they got a pretty loud out to Spencer Jones and Wright. Right. So mm-hmm. that, that got dicey. But Schultz, I, I just did not think that was going to work. In the closing role, I didn't think he had a put-away pitch, but I think he's been 
Schultz's guy had was dealing with the changeup yesterday. I thought that was really good. He just kept them off balance. Maybe it works a little better against the backdrop of 90-something with every arm, as you mentioned. But for whatever reason, it's working for them. And I feel like you kind of can trust him in that role, which I didn't didn't know I was going to feel that way uh, two months ago. But he's a, he's a different guy. He's gotten his confidence back. He's a strike thrower. But it's funny. You mentioned Hunter Owen. And part of me just goes, you know, what, what's he done? Right to to not throw in two weeks or whatever. I I don't know if that's the case or not. It just may be you've only got twenty seven innings most weekends, and you know you get a guy like McIlvain coming out and throwing seven no hit innings that shortens everybody. And I I really wonder. I mean, look if that's I don't know if it's that. I mean, and Owen wasn't as good his last couple times around. I just think they've got such a competitive situation. There's just not room for everybody right now. Evans threw well two weeks ago. Right. Did, or last right, week yeah. and did, didn't see him. I think they're in a spot where it's the exact opposite of Omaha last year where it's rocker, lighter, Maldonado, and then you just hold your breath and grip the dugout rails with white knuckles when, when everybody else throws. Exactly. And they, and that that's what we're talking about, the balance that the staff has. So – if they can turn it around with a consistency, you know, hey, look, they've won back-to-back series, so let's let's don't bemoan the fact that we're we're counting that as being a negative. Be Florida, be Kentucky in the road, win your first SEC series on the road. You got a nationally ranked team coming into your place. Um, that's won three series in a row. It's going to be highly competitive, hopefully. So things this team is the ship is pointing in the right direction. It's like one of those icebreaker boats that you see that's just plowing through the ice and you want to just stay steady. It's not, it's not a swift movement, but at least the boat's going in the right direction and you, and you're going forward and, um, just keeping it all together, playing at home is a good thing. And you only got one more after this one with LSU, um, two home, two road. So you got to make the most of it. Almost forgot the mailbag. Are you ready to go there? Yeah, let's, let's take, a, take a stab. The Mailbag is sponsored by Sutherland and Belk, a family-owned injury law firm. If you or a loved one has been hurt in an accident, give Taylor or Russell a call at 615-846-6200 to see what your rights are and if they can help. And Arbor says, are you concerned about runners left on base, or is that something that corrects over time? Well, sure. I mean, it bothered me on Sunday, uh, Saturday. Um, and even though when you look at the stat sheet, 7 only left seven on base. We left 14 on base on Friday and 13 on Sunday. Um, but boy, seven on Saturday seemed a lot more than seven. Um, then it then it just in your, in your mind when you're thinking back on the game. I'm um, sure it does. Uh, that Saturday contest I mentioned that it seemed like a bunch of guys were lifting the base, trying to lift the ball and, and doing some things um, with their bad head that was not indicative of the way they had did on Friday night. But yeah, sure, it's concerning. You you like to think that it would work itself out over time, but uh, you know we're we're past the halfway point, and it's time to find some guys who, with inconsistency, especially as we talked about those spots seven through nine, you got to get it turned around there if you're going to be if you're going to do the things you want to do. But yeah, it's concerning. Um, hitting into double plays, a lot of a lot of fly ball outs lifting those are the things the traits i see that i I don't like um and um stranded runners on it's 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 
It's not like they're trying to. It's not like their pitchers aren't trying to throw strikes. Uh, one of those things I always laugh about, which, you know, the coach is yelling, throw strikes. Well, it's not like they're not trying to, but just like they're not trying to lead, you know, hit the ball the other way and do the discipline things you have to do. Um, but um, we'll just have to see. I, I, but it, it is it is a little concerning to me to answer the question directly, yes. Um, but it's just weird how it felt a lot more, even with half the numbers that they had, the games one and three, in the game they lost, it seemed like it was just a lot more amplified than it was. Well, a couple things. I'm going back and looking at the scorecard from Saturday. You talked about it felt like they left more on than they did. I think the thing was they had runners in scoring position, what, one, two, three, four, five innings and didn't get a guy in. And sometimes they had more than than one. Like they'd, they'd get more than one guy to second base in the same inning. But I, I think the thing there is they only got the leadoff man on twice. So some of that is, you know, you get a guy on and a ground ball out moves a guy up and another one moves a guy up and then a single scores him. I think it's just the order in which they got them. Um, you know, and we could talk about the bottom of the order, but I think we've already had that discussion. Although when Polk was in there, uh, and Parker Nolan too, Parker Nolan yeah. is hit better in SEC play than people get him credit for. He has, yes, absolutely. But I, I say this, and I sound like I'm an apologist, but I, I say I, I think that that I think that people that study that stuff say it generally comes around. Like the thing that's debated in pro balls like is there any such thing as clutch hitting and david ortiz is always the name that comes up and um you know you can i'm I'm sure you could find some wormholes on the internet and spend some time there if you're so inclined but i would rather have that issue than the other one where they just don't get guys on because you got to get guys on to generate scoring opportunities so i don't look at that as i mean yeah like if if they go and you know they're out in in the postseason they lose a game because they've left you know 14 guys on base, then it will have been a problem. But as a predictor going forward, I, I don't see it as a problem because I, th- I think that generally comes around. And, and what, they're second in the league in batting average? Yeah. Um, their, their strikeout rate in the league is, I think, one of the lower ones. Now, sometimes the quality of contact hasn't been great at times, but I, I look underneath the hood on some of those things, and I, I don't see – I don't see serious calls for alarm. Now, again, what they're going to have to figure out is the bottom of that order. And again, I think they've got some pieces, but but in terms of of, of a team wide trend like that, I, it doesn't bother me as much as it does everybody else. Yeah, and it's just um, those things are compounded. And it, it, you mentioned your your stats that you said a couple weeks ago. I think you mentioned how bemoaning the fact of the strikeouts per game that it's not as bad as it actually you you would think it is everybody uh, strikes yeah. out now that right, everybody right. does tennessee i think tennessee strikes out at a higher rate than they do or it's like neck and neck it just doesn't seem that it, it when it's your own team and you're you're leaving runners on and you're striking out and you're hitting into double plays, a lot of double plays. I think it just kind of amplifies each one of them. Yeah, no, the, the double plays, I think that's a little bit of an issue because they seem to go through spells where they hit an inordinate number of ground balls, which again goes back to quality of content or quality exactly. of contact. So. Absolutely. Um, strikeout rate for the year in all games. No, I'm sorry, SEC games, Tennessee 22.5%, uh, Vandy 22 
Yeah, there you so go. So be, best hitting team in the league, hands down, and, and strikeouts between those teams are almost identical. So, mm-hmm. yeah. anyway. Uh, let's see. Ann Arbor asks, how do you explain the fact that since 99, only one number one seed, Miami in 99, has won the College World Series? It's just balance. It's total balance. I mean, growing up, even in the, in the 90s, 80s, 90s, even what following it when I got out of school, you know, you had Florida State, Arizona, Texas. Um, who else was in there, Chris? Help me out. I mean, every USC. year, USC. It was, yeah, but it was always Florida State, Arizona always State, Texas, Arizona State, Long Beach State, right? It was those Mississippi teams. State, yeah. And 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 there's just that much more uh, excitement in the game as and recruiting is amped up and programs have built, you know, teams have built stadiums and. They're nicer than some minor league parks, but you're just having more across the board consistency uh, from, uh, and you know, you you still have the, you know, they bemoan the fact that <clears throat> there's not a lot of teams from the East ever, and you know that you know Michigan, of course, if you can say that's more Midwest, but the teams north of the Mason-Dixon line in that corridor hardly have any representation. Correct me if I'm wrong in Omaha. Uh, and the warm weather schools and the cold weather schools, but I think it just has to do with with balance, um, balance across the board. Um, you know, Texas as much as Texas is a revered program. Sure, they've been to Omaha um, a few times lately, but it used to be an every year Oklahoma State and those teams. And it's just um, more teams are spending money in their programs and getting quality coaches and and. Um, I think you'll you'll consider you'll continue to see, and I I still think the misnomer the one year that what was it after 2014? I'm I'm let me do the math here. It was 2015 when the school from South Carolina won it. Was no, that it was 16 because in, in 15 was the year Virginia beat Vandy Virginia with a team it, right. that wasn't all that good. Yeah, and then how does was it? Coastal Carolina won Coastal it in Carolina. Yeah, that that was one of those oddball like you shake your head because have they done anything since? Not really. Yeah, and you just one of those. Not saying fluke. It was just one of those weird. Fresno things. State in '09. Right. That was that was absolutely a hot bats thing. <laughs> that was. That let's was, just let's just call that one what it was. Bats um, were hot back in 2009. Oh, I'm telling you, bats were very hot in '09. <laughs> Oh yeah. So, um, I, I would I would say I would bet a pretty decent amount of money that in the next twenty two years you get more than one number one overall that wins this. I would think so. I agree. And, and frankly, Tennessee is at the rate it's playing. Um, man, the, the ballpark's an equalizer, but I almost take them against the field right now. Well, yeah, they and, and they're gonna and they're gonna have to do a lot to lose the number one overall, which yeah, I don't think they, they're gonna lose. And to think that they brought the fences in at TD uh, Ameritrade Park from a few yeah. years ago when um, we won the title in that first year, the Norwood Homer was with the fences back, right? Am I correct? I'm, I'm pretty sure. Uh, let's see, because there weren't any home runs back in that when I out there for that. I mean, that was, well, that's when they that's when they deadened the bats, and like yeah. you had to hit it. On, you on know, like I don't think Pujols was getting any out of that yard, <laughs> right? Um, right. You know, so yeah. Anyway, um, last one. Go towards ninety four, which 
former Vandy boys currently in the minor leagues do you expect to be in the majors soon? Good question. Uh, you, you would have to think the favorite would just be Blade, just how he did in the in the fall league, and he had a lot of accolades there. He's a high draft pick, spent some money on him. You, you know, I know he's still adjusting to the pro game, but I think Blade. I wouldn't be surprised if you say see him make the big, big jump. And, and I think you and I talked about this at one point, Chris. I, I still think. With the struggles that the Rangers are having, I would not be surprised if Jack Leiter's up soon. Uh, not soon, soon, but I know he's in Double A now. I checked that out the other day. My son, my my son is uh, my um, stat organizer. I'll ask him a question; he'll look it up. He's at that age; he loves it. But I think he's in Double A. Not sure where he is, but he's at that level. But a lot of kids, and and it is not it is not anything for a kid to jump Double A to the major leagues these days, especially top prospects. A lot of people think, well, he's only in double A. Doesn't he have to go to triple A? Not anymore. When you got a guy like Jack Leiter with the experience that he has, he's played at a very high level. And a lot of your a lot of pros will tell you that a lot of your competitive, most competitive baseball is actually double A. Triple A, you got some guys who are going back and forth or guys who are hanging on or not to say there's not talent there but it is wildly competitive at double A. And so that's where he is now. But I would say Blade and lighter and who goes first. I'm going to guess it's just going to be Blade perhaps sometime this summer, but I wouldn't be surprised if lighter is up right after him. And definitely um, when the rosters expand, don't forget Austin Martin. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. He, Austin, um, I guess Austin, um, can't get traded to the Yankees. Do they still have the hair rule? With with um, I don't know. I saw the picture somebody posted on our site today. Um, <laughs> I loved Austin Martin as a player. I think oh, he's he was. Great, man. I think Austin Martin had he gotten twenty twenty, might have gone down as the greatest player they ever had. Oh, he's a hell of a player, man. I mean, he. I, I think I don't think people understand. Like he won when they, when they did that short time where they did war for college baseball players. He was the war leader for college baseball in twenty nineteen. Of course, lost you know most of 2020 to the to COVID and was a, a much better hitter. Yeah, you know, he didn't put up home run and RBI numbers, but he got on base. Um, I, I don't think people realize how good he he was going to end up being. You know, if he'd finished out that year, but yeah, he, he'd be in there. Who I'd else are we leaving out? Um, is Jake Eaters hurt? Right, I think so. Yeah, is Ben Bowden? Um, is he still with the Rockies? You know, I think so. I don't think he's in the bigs. Or okay. is he in the bigs? I'm not sure. I he pitched a good about. bit a year ago. He and Sheffield yeah. have been back and forth, I think, right. a little bit. Right. So there's still a bunch. It's weird when you see guys, and I it was. I think it was on your board, that Penn Murphy, who didn't graduate from Vanderbilt, left last year, played somewhere else. He just got called up by the Mariners, a local product. And uh, he. it's just you – I mean, I, I hate to say this. I mean – you just forget the names. There's so many. There's so many guys who get drafted and do, and really really good players. That matter of fact, I did the other day. I just I was sitting here at work and I went down the Google tunnel and just like the abyss pit that was Google and I started just well I wonder what you know so and so where he's playing now and you know you get these guys they're like oh he's out of the game now you know guys he just played two or three years ago and then other guys are still in there and they're in their fourth or fifth year of minor league baseball and and um it's just 
when you start doing it, you just kind of go, you, your mind wanders and it is, um, it's a different thing riding those buses 12 hours and double A ball, single A ball and, and doing those things. It's just, uh, it's a, it's a, not a glamorous life, but when you make it, it's, it's certainly special. I just looked up Jack Leiter's line and it is the most 2022 pitching line you can imagine. He has made three starts and he's thrown nine and two thirds innings. He has walked eight and struck out 16 and hitters are 167 against him. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they're just, they're not a lot of times when you get in those levels, they're not pitching guys to death. Yeah. They're not, they're not letting them extending them eight, nine innings. Um, so he's just getting his feet wet, but what are the rain? The Rangers are in last place. I think I know they've lost a bunch of games in a row. I I've heard they did not want to bring him up this year. Really? Um, okay. And, and, and like if he keeps walking guys that certainly is going to give them an excuse. So, yeah, I, I still think he could get a lot of outs right now, even with right, that. But right. Exactly. He, he was, I think he was the most talented college pitcher I've ever seen. He's pretty dominant. I mean, yeah. it, who would you, who would you push back on? Oh gosh. I mean, David Price was incredibly talented. Walker Bueller, just the, the number of pitches he could throw was, you could see he was unbelievably talented. But I, I don't know that I've seen somebody like Leiter who could just dominate with so many pitches. And remember, he only pitched, what, a, a year and a fifth? Right. That's true, because of COVID. So, yeah. Missed out that year. Missed out on a year. Missed out that year that you talk about, the lost year. Uh, I would, the, the, I would year kill that, to have 2020 back just to see what would happen in college baseball. Yeah. That and it just, it just screwed so much stuff up going forward with – Sure. Fifth and six-year seniors in the draft, and it just feels like it's going to take a while for things to get sort of back to normal. Yeah, and even in, and I'm just uh, uh, I'm digress here a minute, but just it screwed up just even on, on non-athletic uh, non-athletic deals as far as college, where you have a bunch of people who took gap years, so kids applying to college are are competing with all those people who took gap years. Uh, and didn't go to school because of COVID. So you're 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 seeing a lot of kids just trying to get in college now, that are are not getting in good colleges because the the pool, the applicant pool. My point is, is it's going to take a, agreeing with you, it's going to take a while to flush all those people out as far as just you know regular uh, Joes and Jills getting in school. It is going to do the same athletically. For these guys with the draft being limited and you got a bunch of old guys playing and, and it's going to take a while to flush all that out. Chip, that's all I've got this week. Any parting thoughts? And of course, I'll give you the floor to talk about the real estate business on your way out. No, I don't have any parting thoughts other than just what uh, just recap. Big week coming up. A lot of people get out the hawk this week, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, support these guys uh, as they head back home because uh, they've got a tall task ahead of them with four big series, but it doesn't get any easier in this conference. And um, I'm sure the crowds will be rocking. Hopefully the weather, I think looking long-term is going to be good. So good to see everybody out there uh, at the games and, and hopefully have another successful weekend, get another series win. Um, as far as the real estate business goes, I'll just be real short here, plug our company, Frederick and Clark Realty been around since the early 1960s family owned two offices one in Brentwood one in Nashville we got 180 agents and we uh, appreciate everyone's support I've heard some some folks who've used our agents and have made contact with me and we appreciate them doing business with our agents um, 
in these times of this crazy market that still exists, I know that in, uh, interest rates have bumped up a little bit. People aren't refinancing as much, and that doesn't really have anything to do with the buy and sell process. But things kind of, you know, you would think they're slowing down as far as you look at those numbers, but they're not because it is still very much of a seller's market, and Nashville is such a hot place to live. My point is, you need representation. You don't need to do this alone. I know there's a lot of advertisers out there who promote that. You need to maximize your value on the sales side. Don't, you know, the guaranteed offers that you hear, those are great. But why not maximize and use competition, people bidding out, bidding each other for your home? We know how to do that. Our agents have been through the in the trenches as far as those uh, on the sell side. And then buying on the flip side, you need to have somebody who knows how to navigate that, those uh, waters as far as getting you the home that you really, really want and the place that you really want to live. So check us our website at frederickandclark.com. You can call us at 615-327-4800. That's all I got. Chip, thanks a bunch, and we'll catch up next week. All right, Chris. Take care. Thank you for listening to today's episode. We thank our presenting sponsor, Jody Jones DDS. We thank our other sponsors, Sutherland and Belk and MyPerfectFranchise.net. If you're interested in sponsoring this podcast, and that's how we make this work, please email me at chrislee70 at gmail.com. We also ask that you subscribe to our website, vandysports.com. That is $99 a year. You get things there that you don't get here. And, of course, please rate, review, and subscribe where you see our podcast. That helps us get noticed. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at vandysports.com. Follow me at chrislee70. And finally, subscribe to our Vandy Sports YouTube channel as well. Thank you for listening to the Vandy Sports Podcast, which is part of the 440 Network. I'm your host, Chris Lee. We'll catch you with another episode coming very soon.